I'm your host, Xenia, and today my guest is Jamie Varon. You are in for such a treat as we talk about trusting your soul as a creative, divine interventions, quitting on stressful ambitions, rewriting your story, transforming comparison on social media and beyond, trusting the void, not relying on metrics to define your worth. Jamie's experience growing up as a spiritual channel and coexisting as a human and a spirit at the same time. You may already know Jamie from her writing that has been seen across the internet for over a decade, from her early days of personal blogging all the way to features in big publications like Teen Vogue, HuffPost, and more. Over the years, both her long-form essays and short-form prose have garnered millions of reads and views using her signature style of combining personal story with universal themes. In addition to her writing, Jamie has a long-standing career as a branding expert, course creator, and graphic designer. This conversation is so potent, and towards the end, Jamie goes into full-on channeling state and brings so many powerful gems and moments of remembering to all of us. So make sure you stick to the very end. In my experience, the first 15 minutes, we were still kind of warming up and getting to know each other. And then there was this one moment where I brought plant medicine intuitively into the conversation. And as soon as I mentioned it, it's like the air changed in my room and the space that we're sharing in this conversation with you right now through time and space. I'm curious if you will feel that shift that I'm talking about. If you do, let me know. Either way, I would always love to hear your takeaways, what's moving you, what actions you're inspired to take after you listen to this. So make sure you tag Xenia.brief and at Jamie Varon. Jamie, I am so excited to connect with you after being introduced by a mutual friend, Jenny Blake. Your book, your new upcoming book, Radically Content, came up in our conversation. And I said, wait, Jenny, are you sure? Is this radically content or is it radically content? And we had a good laugh about it. And she said, you've got to have Jamie on your podcast. And here we are. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love Jenny. So any connection of Jenny's is good people always. So I went through your book this morning and the book, one of the, I have lots of highlights here. I'll be looking at one of them is This book is a radical invitation to be exactly who you are and opt out of, shed, let go, and heal from anything that's telling you that you are, that who you are is not enough. I mean, that's a big undertaking, Jamie. So how did you come to that? And where exactly does one source the courage to do that? You know, I think you have to really recognize that, um, the world as it is, uh, our cultures as they are, as society is, they're not really affirming us. They're not leaving a lot of space for us to be exactly who we are. We're feeling as though we have to be this narrow version of ourselves. You know, we have to keep up with these shoulds. We have to check off all these check marks. And then only then do we maybe get to be happy. Um, and I really noticed, I was like, this is not going to work for me. I mean, I knew, I knew that from a young age, but it took me a long time to get to the courage and the boldness that it required to say, you know what, 
I don't really need the world to tell me who I am, to give me worth, to give me value. I'm going to just do that for myself because otherwise I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and feeling like my life is passing me by and feeling like I'm never good enough. I'm never enough in general. And that there's always so much more that I have to do, consume, pay attention to, care about, achieve in order to actually just like myself. So I said, I'm going to like myself regardless. I'm going to be unconditional. I'm going to regard myself with unconditional love. And I recognize, I was like, this is a pretty radical thing to do. I don't think it should be. I don't think it is. But I think that a lot of people don't know. And we are not told that like, we don't have to define ourselves by the way that the world tells us to define ourselves. We can define ourselves within from what we, you know, we can value ourselves and feel worthy without the world telling us, okay, you're good enough now. Like you've achieved enough. You've become enough. Like that value system. I I just can't, I can't live by that anymore. Mm, yes. And there's so many layers to that. There's the layer of society. There's the layer of self-talk. There's the layer of career. So I'm just going to invite you to choose any of those layers that feels closest to heart and closest to the surface right now. And let's just go in it. I would love to know what the process exactly was in your experience that you went through that inspired you to write about it. Yeah. I mean, I would say probably the big thing that was a big catalyst is two things. I mean, my body image and career. And I would say probably the thing that's on my heart the most is the body image. Um, And just talking and essentially where it started was really getting truthful with myself about how I regarded myself, you know, and this was in a journal, this can take place in any type of way. But for me, it was just easier to talk to a journal than talk to someone in person. Um, And I just got really honest with myself of what is this anxiety about? What is this self-hatred, self-loathing? Where does it come from? What's the voice? What is it telling me? What is it saying? And I call this the process of like pulling up the roots because so often what we try to do and what I tried to do was like fix all the symptoms, you know? Okay, let me change my body. Let me hate my body. Let me try to like kind of love my body. Let me try all of these things. And like, okay, if maybe if the world thinks I'm like pretty enough as I am, I'll feel okay. Or like maybe if like I get accepted in this place or I achieve this certain thing that people said I wouldn't achieve because of my body, then I'm okay. All these like little negotiations that I think we all do. I mean, most of us do this. And I just said to myself, I was like, this is not going to be an outside thing. I had tried that. I tried it. And I had to make this like an internal job where I had to really pull up those roots, really look at the stories I was telling myself because that's what they were. You know, they're stories. We're constantly telling ourselves stories of who we are. You know, something happens. It doesn't really matter as much what happens. It's the story we tell ourselves of what happened. It's the meaning we make of it. And we can make that meaning something affirming, or we can make that meaning something as a rejection of ourselves or something like that. So I was making all of my meanings, I was making them mean I was not good enough and that I needed to continue to strive and push and be someone different in order to feel good enough. 
And when I pulled up those roots and saw all those stories, I said to myself, I was like, oh my God, these are just stories that I can totally rewrite. I mean, that appealed to me as a writer. You know, I'm like, I could just edit these. I could just go in and change the words around and, you know, change the tone, change the the dialogue that I'm speaking to myself with. And suddenly I regard myself in a totally different way. And it actually works. Like it actually works when you change that story you have going. Cause I, I just think we don't realize it because we think, well, no, I mean, that might work for someone else, but I'm actually really bad. I'm actually really not good enough. I actually really have to do more. Like that's good for you, but not good for me. Like I have to be hard on myself or I'll be, you know, laid up on the couch eating chips every day. You know, like this is what we think. We think like if we don't, if we keep the reins on ourselves, and we really are hard on ourselves. I, I used to say I had a drill sergeant in my mind all the time just telling me, go, go, go. You're not enough. Do more. Come on. Like you're the worst, all this stuff. And oh my God, let me tell you when my, when that drill sergeant finally started to quiet down, when I actually was able to regard myself in some sort of positive light, my life felt like it gained a fullness that it really didn't have before because I used to do anything I could to avoid my own mind. You know, it's just was distraction, avoidance, disassociation because of all of that. You know, like when your own mind is the thing you can't escape, it's like, where do you even go? What do you do? If you're open to it, I would love to go more into what are the specific situations and places and the roots that created those stories in your mind? And then what did you edit them to be now? Yeah, I love that question. Okay. Yeah. So I had a story. I, when I was in middle school, high school, I was the one in my friend group that like none of the guys liked, you know, I just felt like they didn't, they wanted to, they would talk to me to talk to my friends, you know? And I really didn't like that. (laughs) I mean, that was like hurtful, you know? Um, because none of the guys that I liked, liked me back. So I started to feel like okay, I'm actually not good enough. Like I'm not thin enough. I'm not good looking enough. I don't fit the mold enough. No one's going to love me and no one's going to love me. So therefore I'm not going to have the life that I, I want for myself. I was a very ambitious kid, like very ambitious. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to prove myself in other ways. Like I can't use you know, all my friends were getting attention because they were like, you know, even like my brother, my older brother was like obsessed with one of my, one of my friends. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, they were like, it was, it, it was everywhere, you know? And I really took that on as my story. I'm not good enough. I have to prove myself. I'm not, uh, you know, I'll never be loved like that. I won't be desired like that. And I took that all the way through to like into my early twenties into my mid twenties. And then I met the man that would become my husband. And I had this like really intense feeling of not knowing how to accept that he loved me. Like I was so, so I, I felt like I didn't understand what he saw in me, you know, like it wasn't like I could just go, Oh, now someone, 
okay, here we go. And it's not like I hadn't been asked out or anything. It's just, I had this story in my head and he was like, so effusive. He was so, you know, he was so, it was like this kind of like love at first sight type of thing. And I was like, I don't believe it. I can't accept it. And I can't believe it. And it took a long time. It was like hurtful almost sometimes for him to love me because it was so different from what I had expected. And I really had to look at that route. You know, it wasn't like he could love me into loving myself. And so I really had to, and this is like one of the examples of many, but first one that came to mind because I just, it's one of those things where I think we, we might believe that like a partner can love us enough into loving ourselves. You know, they'll, they'll prove that we're lovable. And I was like, that just like basically didn't happen. Like I had to find that within myself so that I could receive and accept the love. And so I had to do a lot of that looking into who told me this? How did I interpret this? You know, I interpreted my friends getting asked out as a rejection of me. You know, that's how I interpreted it. Whether it's true or not, who knows? You know, whether whether there were people that appreciated me from afar and I just didn't let them in or who knows, I can't go back, but I made the story mean what it meant. I carried it with me. I pulled up that route and really looked at it, even though it was painful. You know, it's painful to look at things from your past that were really hurtful. And I had to really examine that and ask myself, is this a story I want to carry with me? Is this a story that's even still true? You know, here I have a bunch of friends, loving family, a great career, an amazing marriage. And I'm still holding on to this belief that I'm unlovable, that I don't deserve the life that I have. Like I have the life <laughs> that I set out to have, and I still don't think that I deserve it. That's, that's not going to like, how's that working? You know? So it was this big disconnect where I was filtering my own reality through the lens of that story. And through the lens of that story, it made everything, it was like, well, I just, it's not good enough yet because I don't feel healed. Like I don't feel loved yet. And I could blame that on the external circumstances. Like, oh, then it must be like, my husband doesn't show me enough love. Not true. You know, my friends aren't there for me. Not true. You know, like all of these things, it could be easy to blame the external situations, blame the people. Instead of looking at myself and going, how am I filtering their love? Am I first putting it through this like story that I have? And that means it like dilutes their love because I don't think that I deserve it. So then I had to rewrite those stories, which meant for me, that's using affirmations. And I don't say the affirmations. I actually write them in a journal. Um, like I write for if I'm like going to a new level, I write like the same affirmations over and over and it changes as I adapt. The first affirmations were like, I allow myself to be happy now. And that was like 2017. Now my affirmations have really changed into, okay, you know, I allow myself to be like fully seen, fully expressed, like they've, they've evolved. But that was my way of rewriting the story of saying, Okay, I know I've pulled up the root. Now I need to replace this with like, I'm going to replace this weed, you know, this like ugly weed that's been growing with like a beautiful flower that I can now foster 
and cultivate, which that to me was like replacing it with a new story of like, I am lovable. I am lovable exactly as I am. I don't need to earn my love. You know, all this stuff, like all these new stories. And then they just kind of like started to change. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. We know that it doesn't happen overnight. But once it did, I was like, okay, I'm starting to see the filter now. Now, if someone does something kind for me, I'm like, oh, that's love. You know, that's their expression of love. Or like if someone wants to talk to me or my husband wants to do something, all these things, I'm like, oh, I see that as love now. I don't see that. I'm not filtering it through a different lens. And I mean, it takes time. It takes work. But I was like, you know what? It's worth it because I'd rather look at my stories, rewrite them, edit them, change them to something that I actually want to feel moving forward rather than live on this kind of like autopilot where I'm just like in pain and not knowing why and not being able to see the blessings and the magic in my life because I'm so focused on where it's not working out or because my 16-year-old self felt rejected. So now I have to be feel rejected all the time. It's like, we do this. We do this without realizing it. And I really had to recognize that I have to be more vigilant if I want like a beautiful a beautiful life that I can actually appreciate and feel grateful for in the moment, I have to change how I perceive it and how I interpret what's happening to me. You know, it's interesting to think that the cells in our body completely change in seven years, and yet we still sometimes carry stories from our childhoods and middle school ages for decades until our deathbed. And I definitely resonate with that. I had some stories from my own experience in school and college where somehow I would always be friends with the girl that's like the most gorgeous, gets the most attention in the whole school. And then every boy that I would be into would end up being with her. And, you know, it took me so much to look at some of the stories that that formed of like me constantly being in the shadow and of me not deserving that attention of me not being beautiful enough of me not being well-spoken or loud enough. And, you know, there's some divine interpretations of the situation that have been given to me in different plant medicine work. And some of those were that if I was out there and ended up with those people that I thought I wanted to be with, that would have taken me, you know, off my path. Another explanation is that, you know, in similar vein, like I was really meant for something. I I was meant to leave Russia where I'm from and I was meant to come to the U.S. If those relationships that I dreamed of with any of those people worked out in Russia, it's highly possible and likely I would have never left because I would have had that there. And so ultimately I see the divine plan. And I know you talk about divine intervention in your book too, of guiding me and protecting from some situations that were just not meant to touch my spirit. And when you're in it, it's harder to see it that way. And I'm curious for you, what were some of the tools and some of the divine interventions that supported you in transforming those stories? I love this. I lo- I've been, this is so funny because, you know, these things always come together at the right time because I've been thinking about all the divine interventions of my life this week in particular, because I look back in the same way and I go, I was spared. Like, thank God that certain things missed me. You know, like you look back and you go, oh, if they, if I had been given what I thought I wanted, 
I wouldn't have been ready or I would have, it would have taken me on a path that was going to really mess up where I was going. And, you know, my work right now is really in holding that belief and trusting that in the moment versus having to see it in retrospect. You know, like I don't want to have to see it once it all makes sense. I'm now trusting like if I get a rejection or something doesn't happen right now, right now, I'm going to trust that that was absolutely not meant for me just because it didn't come together. Like not for any other reason that I need to understand, but because it actually didn't come into fruition. Therefore, it's not meant for me. So I mean, there are so many divine interventions. Like I think that, uh, you know, if we're going and talking about my husband, for example, I mean, I met him in Paris, like in Paris, France. I was ready to leave. I had been there a month. I was traveling. I had no idea why I needed to travel, but my soul was like, you have to go to Paris. And I was like, what? You know, I worked for myself. I worked from my computer. So I was still working and everything, but I was like a location independent, you know? And I, I was like, I guess I got to go to Paris. I don't know. Like 2011, <laughs> I have to be in Paris. And I, you know, it was so random. Um, and I go and within a month I had, and I really wanted to be single. Like I loved being single, to be honest. Like once I got through all the, like kind of let go of what that meant, I actually really liked my independence. And I do think that I would not have like built the independence that I have now, even within my marriage, had I not been single for so long. Like I have a lot of those same friends who were in and out of relationships all the time. Their lives have been since then, since high school, since middle school, defined by their relationships. And I made sure for, and that's fine. I mean, that for some people, that's great. For me, that was not going to be me. You know, like it's not going to define my whole life is who I'm with. So, you know, I felt that I, there was a divine intervention in bringing my husband to me. Me, he didn't even speak English. Okay, we got to know the details. How did you meet? Let's let's hear the deets. And what language did you speak? Okay, we spoke like this really halted French, but he's from Tunisia. And when I met him, we it was outside. It was like a normal Monday outside the Notre Dame Cathedral. And we walked by each other and we caught eyes and he goes, bonjour. <laughs> and like my whole body went into like, I, it like when it was on fire and I was like, what is happening? I've never had, I mean, and that was the time, you know, uh, like the, the Europeans, you know, they're a little bit more effusive. So I, ha it's not like I hadn't been hit on before. So I knew that I had been, this was something different. And I like, when people say that they, their knees went weak, like my knees went weak and he wasn't like, it wasn't because he was, and he was really good looking, but it wasn't because he was like so good looking. It was just this like connection. And somehow we go from not speaking the same language to we're inseparable, inseparable. We didn't spend a day apart from that moment. It was the most bizarre thing. And he has continued to be like, a great teacher for me in terms of how to love, how to love with abandon. Like, I think he's been a great teacher in exposing me to different cultures because he has a different culture. We've traveled. He's got a much different way of being than an American man, um, you know, a typical kind of American man. 
And he's got a little bit of a European influence. Tunisia's very European. Um, they were, you know, occupied by France for a long time. So very French, which I love the French way of living. And he has been just like a steady support for me for so long. And it just like was one of those divine moments. And I've had so many of those. I mean, I've had so many of those where it's like something just completely falls apart that I am, you know, even like before I got this book deal for Radically Content, I broke it off with my literary agent before I got the book deal because I was like, I'm done. This is not working. Like there was a divine intervention that told me like this partnership is done. It's not bringing anything to fruition. You have to see that. Like you have to see that the rejections are not making sense anymore to you. And I was like, okay. And I followed that, had no idea. And then all of a sudden a publisher out of nowhere comes into my email and says, are you interested in working on a book? And it was like the exact kind of experience, book deal, everything that I could possibly want. Like it was better than I could ever imagine. It was just like, it's author first. We'll, you know, we want you to be our like standout lead title, all of this stuff. And I was like, I've been wanting this for so long. And I'm just going through rejection after rejection, which it was meant to be, you know, like even the rejections had it worked out with that agent, you know, like I look at it, I'm like, I was so disappointed that it hadn't worked out with that agent. And I was so afraid people were telling me, you know, it's really hard to get another agent. Be careful. You know, people are, they're always so like, and I'm like, I don't subscribe to this stuff. Like it'll be what it'll me- it's meant to be, you know, but I was a little nervous of course. And I was disappointed because I really wanted it to work out with her. And she was very like well-known. And I was just like, for whatever reason, I wish you no ill will but this is not working. Something with this is not working. And I think my whole career would have been totally different had I stayed with her because now it's opened up and been so expansive. And it felt, I mean, I've had so many of those, those, those interventions where it's like, I get that message and it's, it's just, the answer is so clear. And it usually comes from, I mean, I don't know if this happens to you, but I, I really get pretty deep in the woods of the indecision and I get anxious and I feel really lost and I don't know what to do. And then the clarity comes just at the most perfect time. And it's like, now, now go (laughs) like make the call, send the email, do the thing. And it's like, oh, okay. Yes. I, I get that. So, I mean, I feel like you and I are similar in that there's a, there's like a spiritual and there's a practical, like I show up, I do the work, I do the things, but there's a spiritual part and a magic that I can't explain that works in the background and that I've learned to really, really, really trust, especially this year, because the more that I've trusted, the more things have arranged themselves and come together in ways that have been a hundred percent better than I could have ever forced or planned for. So many gems. I've written them all down. So we will explore all these different kind of forests and universes that you just so beautifully opened up. And the first one that comes through is it's so easy to say no to something when there's something else already on the horizon, but it's so much harder to say no and trust the void. 
and trust that the universe always, uh, I had a guest on my podcast, Del Paro, yesterday, and she says, the universe only gives upgrades. And I love that. And it really takes a lot of courage to trust that void and to trust that there's always something better coming. And um, it's an exercise, you know, and it's scary. But in my experience, it gets easier each time we say yes to the void. I love that. I love the term saying yes to the void because I think I've noticed that the way that I am, the universe wants me to always say yes to the void. Like they, they, they don't give me the next thing ever. You know, I want it so bad. Like I want the certainty so bad. And they're just like, all the magic is in the void and the uncertainty and the trust. Cause you're totally right. I mean, also it's so easy when it's like, it's not something you want that bad or it's, you know, or there is the next thing lined up or, you know, you, when people are like supporting it and you know, this is going to happen and you know, but when you don't have any of that lined up, I mean, I actually now, I don't know about you, but I get like, I'm now excited when I say yes to the void because I know it's better. It's always so much better. Like I can trust that now. It took me a long time. It, it was always like, oh, I see that that worked out. I fought it. <laughs> I like really went against it. But now I see that it has worked out. And now I'm like, I want the void all the time. Like, I don't want to know. I want, <laughs> I want life to surprise me. My brain tries to make plans and this brain doesn't know what to do. You know, like the universe is bigger. They have bigger and better plans for me than what my little brain, which usually like, you know, your plans come from comparing to someone else seeing like, oh, maybe that's what's possible for me. And I think like the void, what's so beautiful about that is like, you are really giving into the infinite, the impossible in a good way. Yes. All right. You're speaking my language here. The infinite possibilities, the impossible becoming possible. That's what saying yes to the unknown and the void represents because you're right. The worlds that we can construct for ourselves and the ideas of what we want only exist based on what we've seen but our mind can create something that we didn't even know was possible. So that's why I love books. I love listening to podcasts. I love watching YouTube channels of people who move me because that shows me like all these new possibilities. You know, these moments when you're listening to an audiobook and all of a sudden there's like a whole new world feels like opened up and these old possibilities. And all of a sudden the world and life is this gamified version of itself where all we have to do is show up and trust the void and have fun. I love that. Did you ever, since you, because, because you're such a seeker and I am too, did you ever have any, um, problems with comparison? Like outside of what you shared about your friends, um, and what was happening in, in no, school, no, but no, nothing about like that. beyond with career, nothing. <laughs> I'm joking. Of course. Yes. Of course. It's a huge thing. And it's, oh, I was the- like, oh my God. <laughs> alien. (laughs) No, definitely. It's one of the things I've worked with a lot in my life. And, you know, one of my, one of the ways that I do my work is hold space for people to share full version of themselves on social media. So I've guided programs and I do mentorship and coaching and consulting in the area of people shining light on parts of themselves that they're still hiding 
and then showing up from that place in all of their medicine and all of their magic on social media. And, you know, one of the reasons I teach that is because it is one of the biggest lessons for me every single day, waking up and not comparing myself, not comparing my numbers to someone else's numbers, not comparing my media kit to someone else's media kit or rates or how many podcast downloads someone has, you know, compared to mine. Of course, like the brain, I noticed that when I'm at my lowest moments, my brain wants to go into finding proof that someone else, you know, is on the same level as me or lower. That's like a sneaky thing that my brain just like finds validation in. But I'm learning to shine the light of awareness on that. And through that, be like, okay, hold on. Am I picking up my phone right now to be inspired, to create something beautiful, to offer something to the world, to express my truth? Or am I just allowing my brain to take over because I'm tired? I need to like reset and just like take me down the black rabbit hole of comparison that is infinite, just like possibilities are. And it is a possibility that we can always choose. And so the more space I create to take those extra breaths of, okay, what am I feeding with my energy? Because that's my most important currency. The more I find myself going for the creation versus the destruction. Oh my God. <laughs> that just really, <laughs> portal we, are, we really are speaking the same like Yeah. Portal, <laughs> oh, <laughs> portal opened up. I love that. Cause I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that it's, you really can get so caught up in it course. I mean, it is. And I had to have a moment with myself like a few years ago where I was like, this comparison is either going to destroy you or you're going to have to engage with it differently. Before we continue, I want to share with you about Zencaster Creator Network, the sponsor of this episode. Have you ever bought anything after hearing an ad on a podcast? I know I have. Okay, this is really fascinating. One of my favorite podcast hosts of all time, send me a DM with your best guess if you want to find out who I'm talking about. So he ran an experiment in which he stopped doing ads on his show. The outcome blew him away because a massive amount of people asked him to bring back the ads. Turns out product recommendations is one of the reasons people love his show. They know that he only vouches for products that he personally tests and approves. That's been exactly my policy with ads on my podcast, and I've been so lucky to have incredibly aligned sponsors on this show. Here's another interesting fact. Podcast advertising is four times more effective than display ads for conversion. 67% of listeners remember brands they hear about, and 63% make a purchase. If you have a brand or a product that you're ready to grow, podcast ads could be an incredible thing. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend at a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster, a longtime partner of this show, now has its own creator network that makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters with aligned content and audiences. Host-read ads, like the one you're hearing right now, are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique-to-them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Here's the thing, you don't need to have an enormous budget. Zencaster has been running pilots and has proven that smaller podcasts, when it's the right fit, can outperform bigger ones in a variety of verticals. If you're interested in sponsoring podcast ads for your business, and maybe even this show, go to zen.ai slash kbp. Zen.ai slash kbp, short for Xenia Brief Podcast, and fill out the contact form so that Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. 
because it, it you can't be a creator with and have comparison be this constant nagging thing. That's always because the metrics are always going to look like hard numbers of value and worth, but they're not. You know, we can't. That's not how we really can gauge. That's how we can gauge one data point, right? It's one data point on an infinite amount of data points. And another, and you know, the data, what it doesn't give a lot of space to, which you're talking about is energy. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't give a lot of space to, you know, we look at followers, but we don't look at like, there's no meter for how's that person feeling today, right? Like what if we went to someone's profile and we saw they have 300,000 followers, but they're constantly in a low state, in a low state of comparison, of not feeling good enough still of all of this. Like we saw this little meter on there of like green to, to red. You know, if we saw that, would we think differently if we were measuring like how people feel? Um, Cause I feel the same way. Like I have really had to stop myself. I talk about this a lot in the book where like what we end up doing is we try to be better than someone else, you know? So we're, we're like, okay, well, as long as I, you know, at least I'm not like that. At least I have more than that person. And when we compare, we try to tear that person down, right? Like, well, they're they're just not like doing good work. Like, oh, people are just, why do people like this person? Da, 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 da. And I found all of that to be extremely low vibration. I mean, that makes me feel sick to my stomach, you know, because what happened, what I noticed is that Then what happened when I got to that place where that person was at that I was comparing, I judged myself. I was now against myself. All those things that I had said about them, like I had this story of, you know, well, if you get really big on social media, it means you have like a really watered down message or something like you appeal to the masses. Mm, That's an interesting one. Wow. Right. This is how I told myself like, oh, you're really unique, Jamie, because you're not getting that recognition on social media. So that writing that's like really easy to understand and it doesn't have a lot of depth. Like this was me being kind of bitchy and like petty and rude about the people who I thought were doing, you know, quote unquote, better than me. So I knocked them down. And then what happened? Reality check. I started gaining traction on social media and I started getting judging myself and having those same things on myself. And I was like, okay, so we don't do this anymore. We don't create stories and narratives about why some people, you know, there's, there's a, there's an unknown why some people have, you know, mainstream success, why some people are more niche success, why some people it's, it's harder to get their career off the ground. Why some, we can't know. We want to know. We want to say it's because some people are work harder or are good enough or this or that. And I mean, there is like, of course, a, a race issue and a gender, like there's, there's things too, that are like very real that are happening. But I'm saying in a general sense, it's like we're trying to find reasons and meaning when really there is no reasoning or meaning. Like why did someone's writing career take off when they were 21 versus mine at 36? What? I can't possibly know. I just have to be present for it when it's happening, you know, and look back and see that 
maybe this was just, you know, and, and trust, not maybe trust that this was my path all along. This was the timing, the only timing it was meant to happen and know that I was being led here. Whereas that person say at 21, they have their own journey now, you know, their, their life isn't better than mine. It's not more important. It's not easier. It's not less self-doubt, less comparison, less anything that I think that they have. It's just a different journey that they're on. And that's just a very like little example, but it's a clear way of saying like, there is, I really had to, I think, even though I'm very spiritual, I also have, you know, a logical brain. Like I try to understand things from a logical sense. And there has been a point where I've really just threw my hands up and went, there's, there's a point in which I don't know, you know, I don't know why certain way, certain things didn't work out. I don't know why this was my timing. I don't understand it. I don't know why some people, why their lives are the way that like, I just had to throw my hands up because there is something beyond me that I can't understand that's working in ways that I'm not going to be able to fully understand all the time. And what I can do is just offer my trust and faith that it's all working out in exactly the way that it's meant to work out. Yes, that divine surrender that we all have unique medicine, unique messages, and success looks different for everyone. And, you know, in what you were saying with tearing others down and then that becoming tearing yourself down, the alternative that I've come up with for my brain when it goes into those places is when I see someone doing really well, instead of going to their podcast reviews and finding the one star reviews and like, you know, finding proof that, you know, they have bad moments too. I actually tell myself, I'm seeing this because this is possible for me. And I'm so grateful for them paving the way and for reminding them what I'm capable of. And that's a really empowering kind of flip that we all have the choice to do. And, you know, I've also been on the other side of this when I started doing social media and started making money as a content creator, as an influencer before influencer was a word. There was so much judgment that I would come across around, wait, you post pictures of your breakfast on social media and make money? Like, oh, you take pictures of your food? Oh my gosh. You know, there's like so much um, ridiculing the whole concept of that. And I've always seen it as this representation. And I know you talk about this in your book too, that social media it's not a thing in its own. It's a reflection of consciousness of where we are, of the planet, of the society at large. And when that happens, what I see is that everybody has a desire to be seen and heard, but so few people give themselves permission to do that. And it's really easy to take the concept of an influencer or a blogger or any public figure for that matter and you know, place that shadow of unexpressed self on them. So how can we flip that? And when we see someone shining their light, whether that's by posting breakfasts or selling pictures of their feet on OnlyFans, no judgment. However, you know, spirit guides you to make money and share your gifts with the world. I think what if we pause and celebrate that and just ask ourselves, if there is a part of me that is wanting to be expressed that hasn't been yet what is it and what one step can I take towards that in this moment? That's beautiful because isn't that what it is? I mean, it's always that like what you judge, you're judging in yourself. 
what you're not letting be expressed, if you watch someone else express it, then you're, you know, you're going to lash out. Cause I feel the same. I, when I started celebrating other people, especially women, and truly looking at them as like they're innovators, they're showing me what's possible. When I started celebrating, my life got even bigger and fuller because not only do I get my own joys and my own celebrations, but I get theirs too. You know, I get to experience their joy as well because, you know, why aren't they allowed to have their moment? Why can't they have, you know, why isn't there enough spotlights to go around? And, you know, we all can be expressed in so many different ways. And we all, like you said, like we're all, we all need to find our own version of success. I think what happens is we get in this real like intense scarcity because we think there's only one version of success and we all have to get it. And we all know it's not possible. Like even this, it's like, how can we all be the best? The very nature of best (laughs) first, there's one spot, you know? And if we're all trying to be the best, if we're all trying to dominate, if we're all trying to, you know, take over the world, have empires and all of this, I mean, just by sheer logic, (laughs) we all cannot attain that. And so putting this onus on ourselves to say, oh, if I'm not the best, I'll never be happy. It's like, that's just silly. You know, like I get that that's what culture teaches us to do. I get that that's what we're taught, but it really is. It's really harmful because, I mean, I talk about this a lot where it's like, what if like you have no desire for other people's definition of success? I mean, we're seeing this like with people who live in, you know, start to live in vans or like, you know, leave big cities to live in like smaller cities. And, you know, they abscond from this idea of like how life is supposed to be. And they're absolutely happier. You know, they're so much happier. They're more fulfilled because they're listening to themselves. It is really when we all listen to this one version of success. I mean, I know that I had it. I had it for sure. I thought there was only one version of success and I had to get it. And I didn't want anyone else you know, especially with my writing, it's like anyone else that was experiencing success with their writing, they were a threat. They were my competition. Now I'm like, uh, just the more, the better. Like let's all, I mean, if I'm going to be a proponent of women expressing themselves and then secretly shut them down when they're, when their expressions are being noted and recognized, how am I going to feel about myself? I mean, obviously I'm going to feel not like I'm not worthy of recognition and my moments and my celebrations. So I really had to, I had to do a lot of reckoning with myself about that because I mean, it's always available. What you said, it's always available. It's always available to do the comparing and go to the one-star reviews and, you know, make sure that they're getting their crap, you know, thrown at them too versus going, Hey, this is showing me what's possible. This is affirming for me that, you know, I see in you what you see in me or you I see in them what I see in me, essentially. And it's just and and trusting that like it's in your space because you're meant to be inspired by it, not wounded by it. Like if we can take those things that wound us 
I mean, that's, that's what I've, I'm trying to do always is like anything that wounds me, I'm trying to turn it into something good for me. I just can't keep harming myself like that and going on social media and, you know, using it as a tool to feel that I am not measuring up, that I'm still not good enough. Like I will use it as a tool to express myself, be unique, find my voice and express and and know and trust that the people who are meant to read it, my work, who are meant to be in my space, in my community will be there. And I don't have to make it mean that some people have more followers, some people have less, some people have this, some people have, I'm just going to trust that like, this is where I'm meant to be. Like, this is my arena. I'm going to be here and we can all just coexist beautifully because we're all essentially, we're all just like adding to a tapestry, right? Like that's art. We're adding to the beauty in the world. We're adding to the understanding. And if people are saying similar things or adding in their own way, and it's a little different, great. Just like the same way that we can listen to a thousand songs about falling in love and not feel like, why is this person writing about falling in love again? You know, it's like, great. Another cool way to feel what it feels like to break up or fall in love or that moment or this. It's like, awesome. I'm never like, can we just, we're done with, with songs about love. Can we just be done? You know, it's like, no, I want more. I always want more. So, you know, I just want art to feel more accessible, more inclusive, more like there's more of us to belong. And that has to start with how I regard other people and their, and yeah, and their success. Otherwise, I'm trying to take away and say like, well, my art has to be more valuable or the best or this. And it's like, then how is art going to be the best or not? Okay. Then we're going to use the metrics that wound us when it's like, it's meant to go where it's meant to go. Like my book is going to do what it's going to do. It's going to touch who it's meant to touch. And that's, and I, that's going to be enough for me, whatever that is, whatever it is, I'm going to love it. I love that. Every time I'm going to open Instagram now, I'm going to ask myself, am I going to look for opportunities to be inspired or for for opportunities to be wounded? Yeah. Right? Like that's the choice we always have. And what I really believe is like, you know, people always talk about the algorithm and the feeds and all this stuff. And there's something to that. But I also feel like your energy pulls whatever you want to come through. So if you go on the app being like, I want to be inspired. I expect to be inspired. It's like, oh, here's the, here you go. Here's the things. But if you go on, like, I feel like crap about myself, please affirm that, <laughs> that I'm yes. not good enough. It's like, oh, here you go. Yep. <laughs> you know, here's an there ad for go. that. That's there mm-hmm. too. That's like the beauty of social media. I feel like it really responds to our energy. Oh, a hundred percent. So I definitely want to get more into social media. The question that I'm called to ask you to kind of open up the field of social media is one of my intentions with this podcast is to share different versions of success and different definitions of it. Because I know that when we are exposed to to that, to the variety and the different textures and flavors of it, sometimes it's an access to remembering and coming up with our own version of that. And you have spoken to being in the world of both being a spiritual person and also a very ambitious person. And in your book, you talk about, you know, not letting go of ambition fully, but at least letting go of some of the stressful ambitious uh, ambitions. And I'm curious, how do you 
coexist? How do you find the balance between the two, especially, you know, you mentioned that that publishing house chose you as the standout lead title, which I don't know much about, but sounds like a big deal. And you've also had some great success on social media. So take us through like the human aspect of some of those successes and how you were led there within your career journey, how social media played a role in that, and how does your spiritual connection to something bigger than you play a role in all of that? That's a beautiful question. Um, It starts with intention for me. Um, I think I've found that you can do the exact same thing, the exact same action. Okay, you're on social media and or you're having an achievement happen. And depending on your intent with it, it changes the experience. So my intent is always my life exactly as it is with no achievements, no books, no nothing, no external, no social media is amazing. It's beautiful. I am I am beautiful as a human being as I am unconditionally. My worth does not go up and down with what my likes on a post are, what my followers are. My worth is not part of the equation, right? My value is not out there for me to earn and some for someone to tell me what my value is. It is internal. It is innate. It is fostered. It is cultivated within. Therefore, that's my foundation. That's where I start, right? That's all unconditional. And I take care of myself like on a day-to-day basis. I'm very present in my life in that you know, okay, we, I know that I want to exercise every day. I know that I want to eat a certain way. I know that there are certain things that I want to show up for certain people that I'm showing up for this and that that's very intentional. It's, it's, you know, because I don't want like any kind of success to really take me so far away from what, what is really like meaningful to me apart from that. Then I started to think about ambition as what my next experience of life will be. Not what's the next way that I'm going to try to earn my worth and prove that I'm good enough, but what does my soul want to express next? Does it want to bring, it it even got to the point where I was like, does it want to bring a book to fruition? I always thought that as a kid, you know, growing up, that's what it always seemed like a given, but I kind of like let that, let that go. You know, I just said, I did that surrender a little bit. I was like, if this is not meant to come together, maybe there's, you know, I took a book proposal that got super rejected in 2019. And I, and I used that almost as the outline for what I created as my digital course, Live With Intention. So, and, and people interacted with that course, engaged with the work the same way they would with a book. They were posting screenshots. They were so excited. They had this transformative experience like that. And I, and I recognized, I was like, okay, so it's not really the thing. It's that I'm expressing myself that when I have an idea, I'm honoring it. It's not, does not mean I always have to bring it to, to fruition or bring it to life. It's that I'm listening. If I have an idea, if I can, you know, if that's seems like something, you know, the next adventure that I want to go on. My career very much now feels like an adventure. It's like, what's next for me? What's the next exciting thing that I would want to work on? What's my next challenge? 
What's the next um, iteration of myself that I'd like to bring forward? What's the next bit of growth? You know, I have to, every time you write something, every time you work on something long-term, it changes who you are. I mean, it just does, you know, if you, uh, how you show up consistently, what the journey is, who you become in doing that, like writing my book, I became someone new. Once I was done, it was such a transformative experience. So focusing on the experience, on the feeling, how do I want my career to feel? How do I want those next experiences to feel versus what it used to be was, if I get this, I'm worthy. If I get this, I'm good enough. If I get this, I'll finally prove to my high school self that I was not, you know, rejected. And if I get this, then I'll finally know that like I'm the best. I I can't do that anymore. So what I do now is because I know I've tried not to do creative stuff. I put a pause on a lot of things. It still kept coming up. I still somehow found myself writing a book. (laughs) You know, I still somehow found myself at Starbucks working on a freaking book proposal. I was like, we're back here again. You know, I mean, I still wrote a novel, you know, it's like all these things I just kept creating. And so now, you know, like for example, with the novel, I don't say to myself, and of course there's things that are challenging about it, but I don't say to myself, okay, if I can finally prove and get a book deal and be a novelist, then I'll really be a real writer. It's like, no, I look at it as I want the experience of writing a novel. I want the experience of bringing a novel to life. I've written about myself for a very long time. This is cool. Like, I love storytelling. I love this idea. I had an idea. I wrote it. You know, can I bring this to fruition? Is that my next challenge? And also giving up the and surrendering to like, if it's not meant to come together, I'll trust that and I'm not going to force it because I feel that my creativity, especially now, is very abundant. I'm not in scarcity. Like I'm very abundant. Any, I can always come up with new ideas. There will always be new inspiration. There will always be new projects. I'm never done. You know, it's not like I get to this place where it's like, okay, now I'm going to do this for the next 30 years. You know, in 2009, I started a design business. I was a, I've, I've been a graphic designer since 2009. I, I'm still doing that. Is it my, do I want to win awards? Do I care? No, I just like doing it for clients. But writing is different. I want a different kind of more public life with that. And I just look at it now going back to like this intention, my intention with having ambition, my intention is of course to support myself. There's a money aspect. I need to be able to support myself, but also my intention is I've been given these gifts for a reason. I have, there, I have plenty of gifts, but there are plenty of gifts I also don't have, you know, like I'm not good at math. I still no, use my fingers neither. to count, you know, they're uh, like to add, <laughs> like, I still do it. You know, there are certain things like that's been very humbling and freeing is that I have these gifts for a reason. This is what lights me up. There's a reason why I love reading. There's a reason why I love these certain things that I do, you know, like there's a reason I've been drawn to certain things. So I have to honor that because I actually feel like I'm not honoring that because like, oh, because I think I'm good enough or I'm trying to prove it's more like source has sourced me with these. It feels beyond me. 
You know, like I'm not the driver here. I've been given these gifts for a reason. It is my task, my my source, God, universe-given task to bring those to life, to honor them and to love them. And, you know, I also am very intentional about enjoying the journey because I know when I enjoy the journey, and it's so cliche, but it's so true, when I celebrate the small milestones, when I enjoy the journey, the result doesn't have as much pressure because it's like, I've already... I've, I've been having a good time, you know, like my book's coming out a year from when I signed my book deal, but like, this has been a really fun year. It's been so fun. I've enjoyed every aspect of it. Even the really hard times of self-doubt. I enjoyed that. Like it was just, I'm in it, you know, like I, and I really like that. I'm actually doing the things that my younger self always wanted. And I'm doing them with confidence, with conviction, so all of those things add up to, you know, it's no longer this feeling of ambition as trying to prove striving or overdoing it because I always need to be going to the next thing or anything like that. There was a point even like November, December um, recently, like in 2021, where I had this really intense feeling where I was like, I think you need to pause for a bit and just enjoy how far you've come no new ideas. Like it was very intervention-y, you know, no new ideas. Stop working on this thing. You know, I was in the middle of trying to write my next novel and it was just sticky and difficult and I was showing up, but I wasn't enjoying it. And it was just this intervention of like, I think it's time that you need to really root here and recognize where you are, like how far you've come with these gifts that you've had a hard time it's been a like a struggle with these things. There's been a lot of rejection. There's been a lot of closed doors. And now there's a lot of open doors. And maybe you're not recognizing that for what it really is. And it made me recognize like how much of life goes in seasons, in cycles. So having that intention, enjoying the journey, having all of that, it means like I can stop for a second and enjoy where I am and celebrate where I am and be like, that's part of it. Like, you know, you grow, you heal, you get to a new level, but then you have to live at that level. It's like, that's the beauty of it. Then you, you live at the, as that person you've become this new version. And instead what we do in our very like industrial capitalism world is like, no, Next levels mean it's possible for the next level. So go, 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 never stop. Like capitalize, capitalize. And I was like, no, I, cause I feel like my career as a creative is very long. I have plenty of time. I am abundant. I have a surplus of time and energy. I have a surplus of ideas. Inspiration is always around me. So I don't need to rush through all of this. Oof, Jamie, it's so nourishing. Sign me up for the Church of Jamie. This was, it was like a sermon. It was so powerful, you know, and I can tell that those affirmations, I am abundant. I'm abundant. My creativity is abundant. My career as a creative is going to be long and inspiring. You know, it's you saying that and embodying that, that attracts the reality of that. And sometimes it takes repeating it over and over until we believe it to become an embodiment of that. And I can tell that you have taken that on. You've written it down in your journal probably millions of times. And now it's a part of your 
unconscious belief. You just know so because you deeply believe so in your heart because you've surrendered yourself to source because you know ultimately it's not about you, but it's about source moving through you. And I think honestly, that's the only way to be. And that's the only way to do business. That's the only way to show up on social media. That's the only way to do relationships, anything. I completely agree. I mean, those, it really has been an embodiment of those values and those affirmations. And I mean, also that sermon, I I believe, I mean, I'm such a channeler. I was probably fully channeled because I hardly remember what I said, but because I, that happens. I don't, do you channel? Do you know if you channel? Um, I don't use those words, but yes, especially when I'm in client sessions, there is presence that is way beyond anything that I could have come up with. Yeah. I didn't realize it. People had told me that they thought that I channeled when I wrote. And then I really start now I give, and now I just fully surrender to it where I'm like, it's just like, take the keys. I'm like, take the fingers, take the keys. I'm not, you know, and it, it releases the attachment to it too. It releases the ego attachment, which has been very important for me and embodying those affirmations where it really has rewired and created a new default for how I think and how I interpret myself and through the world. And it really made me recognize how much like you know, we always say and joke, it's like, oh, you remember the negative things the most. Those are the most present. There's like actually pro- psychological, biological reasons for that, um, that I don't know the full, I just know that there are. But as much as we, what I recognize is like, as much as we buy into and believe the negative things, why can't it be? And and it's just based in like some evidence, you know, maybe there's a little shred of evidence, but like, we also have evidence that things are positive, that things do work out for us, that we are blessed, that there's magic and all of this. So like, why don't I just focus there? And I used to think that that was so silly, you know, and then I started doing it and I was like, oh my God. I mean, I used to be the person in my family that I was the complainer. They didn't like to be around me because all I did was complain. Like my mom used to get upset with me when we, we, we would go on trips. She'd be like, Jamie, no complaining. Like before we would leave for somewhere, <laughs> she'd say to me, no complaining. Like that's how much I was a complainer because I had to be warned to not complain. Did and that now work? I'm Being like, told not to? No, no. I was a rebellious <laughs> kid. <laughs> But, and I just thought I was, you know, okay, I, I'm just going to bitch about everything. I thought that that was like, I thought I was justified, you know? And then I reckon, and then I was like, I now have a very hard time mustering up complaints. It's, it's not my default. It's not the first thing that I go to. Even like, you know, if I spend time with someone new and I don't really know them yet and all they do is complain or gossip. I get so shocked. I'm like, wow, that's how we are. Like, that's how people are. And I don't mean that from like, I'm better or anything. It's just, it's not in my constant purview, but that's how I used to be where like all my interactions were gossip and complaining about things. And, oh, do you have time? I need to vent, you know? So and what now shifted? It's like, I just don't see those as having, I don't see them as having solutions anymore. Like it's just wasted energy. I noticed that it was really bringing me down and it was constantly making me feel like things were against me, 
And it was also making me feel like, you know, with gossip, especially there's a power up, there's a power play there. You know, if you can, if you can talk bad about someone, that means you probably, you're, you think you have power over them. You're superior. Oh, okay. I can like judge them. Makes me feel better about myself. I just noticed, I was like this, I had to like break up with some friends because of that. I was like, our whole relationship is predicated on let's get together and talk crap about people. Like that was the whole conversation. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like I really had to do this. It, it, another one of those divine interventions. There's a lot of those moments in my life where I just hit a breaking point and I go, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. Have to find a new way. This is like, I, it, it takes a while for me to notice when something is really draining me. But once I do, I'm like, wow, I got to do something about this. Yes. It's such a powerful extension to what we talked about. You know, I think gossip and complaining is the same type of energy as comparing and judging just out loud through words. It becomes even more powerful. And when it becomes a shared experience, it's like, whoa, we're gathering as humans to amplify that. No, thanks. Opting out. And I'm like you, when I hear that, I'm like, whoa, that's the thing, because I would like to think I've surrounded myself with this conscious community where we can, you know, if something like that starts arising, we can call each other out and be like, hold on, hold on. Is that what we want to create? Is that where we want to go? Is that what we want to amplify? And the answer is uh, typically no. I know. You know, I, I didn't realize how much, I think, how much of my thoughts and words and what we say when we gather how much that is creating reality um, and really building the next, you know, moment onto itself. Um, because I, you know, and I don't want to do, I'm hesitant to talk about, you know, say that because I, I don't want to do the, I'm not toxic positivity. It's like, I'm all about honor your feelings. There's a, we know the very big difference between venting about someone versus honoring if you were like upset by something or you really feel that there's something, a boundary has been crossed or something. There's a real different energy to that than just like, eh, meh, meh, eh, let me just tear this person down. And I've started to notice and have had to be so much more vigilant, just knowing how much my mind is creating my reality. I mean, I think that I knew that like I knew that. I mean, I used to read these like metaphysical books when I was like 20 and I'd be like, you know, heal yourself, heal, like heal your body, heal your life, heal your mind or whatever it was. I'd be like, yeah, I get it. You know, like, oh, I get it. I'm 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 deep. And I didn't really fully get it until just until very recently, I would say like the past just few years. And I was like, oh, like we are constantly co-creating our realities all the time with the way that we think and regard ourselves and the way that we think and regard others because it all matters like the fact that we're more vigilant about like our productivity and the way our bodies look and the way that we present ourselves to the outside world versus what thoughts are going on in our mind is messed up like because that's the thing that's creating everything like you can change your whole perception of yourself just by changing your thoughts, but you can you can't really always do that with like external things that are very um, fleeting and uncertain. 
Yeah. And another layer of that, that I've been dropping into with my son medicine coach, Reggie Riverbear, who's on the podcast this week is not just what am I thinking? What's in my mind, but what am I feeling? Like when I say this or when I send this on where I'm in this space, when I'm thinking about this thought, what am I feeling? And that has been such an awakening experiment. The fact that, you know, like if an opportunity presents itself and we don't go into, we just go, we measure like, okay, how much money it is, how much this, how much this, what is the, the, what's the, what's the benefit to me, you know, in a very tangible way versus how do you feel when you think of going to that thing or saying yes to it or doing that work? The fact that that's not our most discerning tool. I mean, cause I feel the same way. I have been so much more in my body and less in my mind. And that's coming from, again, what my mom used to say, complainer and overthinker. Those are my two things. It's not Jamie's a real positive delight to be around. It was like, she overthinks, she doubts herself and she complains about everything. Cool. Great. Glad she still loves me. God. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it was like, you know, my family still likes me, thankfully. Um, but, you know, I, I never, ever, ever tuned into my feelings ever. And now it's the first thing that I do is get in my body and I have to walk it through too, because I think, um, and maybe you do this too. Like if an opportunity presents itself, say it's like a new project, something that's going to take, you know, I, I try to go beyond what it'll look like or feel like when I announce it or sign the thing. I'm like, okay, a year from now, when I'm in the, the 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 weeds of it, and I'm still working on this, and there's still uncertainty, and I don't know what's going to happen, am I still going to be lit up by this? Like, is this still going to sit well with me? If not, it's a no. Like, it's a it's a definite no because I used to do a lot of things, unfortunately, based on ego, where I wanted to announce that I was doing the thing more than I wanted to actually do the thing. And, you know, which, which essentially is saying I cared more about how people saw me and perceived me and thought of me like, oh, she must be successful. She's doing that or da, 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 da. And now it's like, that's the last thing on my list. The, the first thing is how does it feel when I'm talking to this person? Like I recently signed a partnership deal with someone and I had to go, even my lawyer was kind of skeptical of me. You know, he was giving, he's very like, this might not come to fruition. Like just a very unstable industry, da, 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 all those like really jaded things that people say. And yet every time I had a Zoom with that person, I felt completely uplifted. I felt like all the possibilities were possible. There was infinite ways that this could happen. Talked to the lawyer, doubted myself, questioned it. Talked to the person that was offering the the opportunity, felt completely uplifted and excited and so happy. Okay. My brain, you know, you would think, well, follow the lawyer, obviously. Oh, it's a lawyer. But I was like, I'm going to go with what I feel is because like I'm going to have to live with this decision, not the lawyer, not anybody else. I'm the one that has to be in this decision. And now I feel. I have, it has been affirmed to me over and over and over that this was the best decision that I've ever made for myself and my future. 
And it was, you know, it was like almost that the lawyer had to be that voice of like contrition and no to, to allow me to see like, okay, how am I feeling when I talk to this person versus this other person? And how do I feel thinking about signing this thing versus this other thing? And which of them really makes me feel lighter and possible and excited? And which of them makes me feel heavy with expectation and frustration? And it has to go a certain way. And I made the decision based on that. Yeah. And it was so, and now I have no doubts about that decision. You know, it was like, because I listened within instead of, you know, it's fine to get advice, fine to get like opinions, but at the end of the day, like we have to know ourselves and have that discernment within ourselves. Yes. You know, this brings up a situation we just had last week with my husband. He has his own digital marketing agency and someone got in touch with him. They had a call and this person had all of these business possibilities and partnerships and like ways to get leads and expand and reach people in ways like way beyond anything that they have seen possible in their already very successful business. And on the one hand, he left that call and he kept talking about it for like a week, very excited. Like, this is amazing what he's saying. It makes some, you know, it's like incredible. We got to have another conversation. And then on the other hand, the next day he woke up his ankles hurt so bad he couldn't work out. And then his head started hurting. And then he started saying, this person broke my brain. I literally like, ever since that conversation, I can't focus. My body's not working. And we sat down in a car and I had just published my podcast with Jenny Blake, where she was saying that anytime she's not listening to her intuition, to her gut instinct, her body lets her know. It's either bronchitis or something else comes up. And I told it to him. He was like, oh my gosh, I should look up Heal Your Life, whatever that Louis Hay book is. Like, what do the ankles mean? I was like, listen, we don't need to look up a book. I can already tell you that this partnership from the very first time you mentioned it, I can feel it in the field. There's total misalignment. In your mind, it sounds amazing and so perfect. And it makes so much logical sense. But in the energy, there's like just an enormous mismatch that's creating a void in your field and it's draining your energy that could be going to your business. And ever since we had that conversation, all of the pain went away, became very clear that he's not meant to work with this person. And it was just like this clearing. Wow. Wow. Oh, he's like a physical manifester. He's a manifester of every kind. Yeah. He's a powerful healer and he like takes it all in. Wow. I don't, it doesn't show up the same way as me. Does it show up like that for you in physical ways? I don't think so. I, th- I think for me, it's more of a, it, I think I store that in my brain and it just becomes this thing of like thinking it over and thinking it over. And then all of a sudden, like the sun just came out of, from the behind the cloud. And it's like, there's a moment of revelation of like, wait, hold on a second. Let's look at it from a different expanded spirit perspective. And once I do that, I'm like, why am I even debating this? It's a clear no. Even if it, in my mind it's a yes, it's a clear no, and I'm going to trust that. I feel the same way. I don't get the physical. I have a friend who gets the physical symptoms like that, and and Jenny. Yeah, she told me about that too, and like your husband. But I get the – it feels like all of a sudden I'm in this like indecision, and I'm so lost, and I don't know what to do, and – oh no, I'm going to make the wrong decision. And there's no way to know. And what I'm so confused. And it just like descends upon me. And then I feel the same way. It's like that dark cloud 
And I'm like, everything's confusing and dark and I don't know what to do. And then it like, okay, now here, you know exactly what to do. Like you, you I have got, to go You got your that. drama. Let's move on. <laughs> right? yeah, like, yeah. You had your tantrum. We got it. Okay. Like now just make the right decision. We know to make the decision that we know is best, like the highest expression of your self decision. Do you feel that perhaps you avoiding your feelings growing up was because you were a powerful channel and you didn't know it or didn't know how to express that? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm actually sure. That's a great question because I think that I felt, I thought for a long time that I was an empath and I don't think that I am actually. I mean, and maybe part some sometimes, but because now that I have really recognized and acknowledged the channeling, I feel a lot more clear and I can listen to myself more and I don't take on as many emotions from others. Um, I think it was when uh, what would happen, especially when I was really young, it was like I would just open myself up and feel too much and not know really what to do with it. You know, like words would come in or messages or, you know, where to go or what to do. And I just like, didn't know how to handle that. And I've heard that a lot, heard that from people who do have these kinds of gifts where they're really connected to the other side, that childhood and really coming into themselves is really tough because you don't understand. Like, I always felt like I was like, what? Something must be wrong with me. You know, like, why am I so sensitive? That was the big thing. Why am I so sensitive? Like I would, I would feel sensitivity for people that were not even like complete strangers. You know, I defend groups of people to my family or like to this or to this, you know, I'd be like the crusader everywhere. And I was like, what? I'm you're 13. Where is this coming from? You know, it's like, but I had this feeling that it wasn't just me here. You know, like I wasn't just speaking on behalf of me. There was a real knowing and a real understanding and observation of others, um, which now I understand as like being very connected to consciousness, being very connected to like the more that I connect to consciousness, the more that I connect to source, the less I'm really concerned with like everybody's I've, I've actually ended up, I used to be able to pick up on like really intense nuance with people, which made me think that I was an empath. And now I cannot, I can't pick up on the nuance anymore. My husband does. He is very good at like, he can read the room. He knows what everyone's feeling at every time. Like it's really intense. I think also because he doesn't speak like, I mean, English is in his first language. He's more adept at like observation in that way, like reading body language and things like that. But he can pick up on like an individual's mood. I used to be able to, and now I can't because I just take what everyone says at face value. I don't think there's subtext. I don't think anything, and there is usually. But now because I'm so connected to like consciousness, I'm connected to you know, I feel like I'm feeling, there are times that I can feel like I say to my friend a lot and she never feels the same way because she, she f interprets things differently. But I like, I can sense when like the world is heavy and I can sense like, even before looking at the clock, I can sense that it's like 5 PM on the East coast. Cause there's like the, this exhale that happens, like the day is done, you know? 
And I can sense like when things feel really frantic at like two or three in the afternoon, I can like things are everyone's like freaking out, you know, and like Saturdays and Sundays are so wonderful because I don't pick up on all the feelings of everyone. Like everyone's chill for a little bit. And so, you know, it's just like I can relax. But it's really interesting because, yeah, I mean, I've always had that. And I think the more that I listen to my feelings, the more that I'm present with myself, the more that it feels safe to like really express that and have that. Because I was, I mean, I used to overeat, overdrink, overdo everything to try to numb out that emotion, you know, all the feelings that were coming because it felt like all the feelings at once all the time. And I was like, what is this? Like, is everyone else feeling this way? I would just have to like vacate my life for a while because it was too much. And that's not on your resume or like in your LinkedIn skills, you know, that's just something that comes with you being a spirit in this human body at this time. And I find it to be such an interesting time to be aware of being a spirit in a human body and that accomplishments don't mean anything if we didn't enjoy the process. And yet, you know, as we were talking about this, I'm thinking about, you know, my bio on my media kit or the one that I share with brands or potential partners or when there's like a media interview request, you know, I mentioned some awards, I mentioned how many followers I have. And it's like, those things don't define me, but the more I say them and the more I, I share that with others, the more I feel that I tie my worth in the world and my creativity and how it's expressed to those indicators. So how can we walk in the world trusting that we're vessels for source, being in the unknown and trusting that moment by moment we'll be guided to what we're meant to do. And yet still, you know, have a website and have a bio and have a social media presence. I find that to be such an interesting dance that there is no blueprint and no formula for yeah, I get that. I, I, I'm thinking about the way that I, I approach it is, um, again, it comes back to changing, like reframing how I look at it. So I'm this spirit. I believe my worth is inherent. I don't, I don't want to define myself by those things, but at the same time, I am aware. I feel like I have a detachment of like, this is the way the world works. And it's not like, oh, I got to play the game and all, you know, this like resentment kind of thing. It's like, I want my words and my art and my expression to reach as many people as possible. So let me, I have to engage with the metrics, you know, like I know that that's going to, you have a certain amount of followers. It is more likely that you'll lead to like, more opportunities to express yourself. And so I can look at it like that as as opposed to, uh, why does this matter in this world? It's like, this is just a vehicle to get me somewhere, you know? So I think that has really helped me because I too can get very wrapped up in it. You know, that's the ego talking. Like the ego wants to know, how am I doing at all times? And instead I really have to, it's like, I can't live as a spirit being because what, what I've really done a lot of reading about like past lives, souls, the journey of souls, this kind of stuff, like what happens, why we're here, here to grow and evolve and evolve ourselves. 
Oh, hold on. We're like, we have five minutes left in this conversation and you're opening that up. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Shoot. Um, that's, that's a different conversation, but um, I guess what I, there's a reason we're in physical bodies, right? Like we're here, even that's part of it is to feel what it's like to achieve in this, you know, 2022 you know, and we're in physical bodies for a reason to experience the contrast of emotions, to be able to experience both disappointment and elation. Um, you know, all these different things. That's how we know elation because we've experienced disappointment. So engaging with those metrics and those types of achievements, it's like, what's the experience? What am I, and, and how is this amplifying my message? Because I know that, even if it's low vibration that people will use metrics to decide value, I'm not going to deny that. I'll just engage with it, but keep my own head about it. Like keep myself. I know that's not my value, but if this is what you need to see, that's okay. Because the end result is that I want my my expression out there. I want to make money doing the things that I love. I want this. I want this. So it's really about saying like, this is just the way that I have to engage with this and that's okay. You know, I mean, it's the same way that I feel like I have to spread awareness of myself. I have to tell people that I published the book. I can't just, you know, source isn't asking me, okay, just sit back and let Amazon or whatever, Barnes and Noble do its job. Like I have to tell people that it exists. I have to bring my energy to it. And part of that might be sharing that like, oh, it was a bestseller or it was this, like these metrics that other people, it's a signal, but it's, it's really actually just helping get to my vision and my intention, which is to get my work out there even more, you know? So it comes back to that where it's like, this is just a tool. This is a tool. Like social media is a tool for me, not the end all be all. It's a tool. And I use that because I, I'm a soul and I can use all the physical tools at my disposal to express myself and experience connection with others. Oof, I love these perspectives so much. And I have a fun question for you, Jamie. So when you were sharing about your husband, and by the way, the acknowledgments that you have for him in your book are so beautiful. You call him your coach and all these beautiful things. You know, whoever gets the book, pay attention to that. It's just like such an expansive model of partnership. So thank you for including him like that. And when you were sharing the story of your for love at first sight with him, I couldn't help but think of when I was in middle school, everybody was obsessed in Russia in, with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. And they had this movie where they go to Paris and they fall in love with these French boys. And for me, I held that dream of like falling in love with a French or some sort of European boy on the street just randomly and having this like wild romance. And I actually did have a couple of stories similar to that in the end. But my question to you is, bringing this back to where we're now, is you shared that when you met your eyes with him, your whole body was on fire. So what's another moment that you feel called to share when you felt that way? So uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the publisher, the head of the publisher that I ended up Zooming, having a Zoom with to talk about a book. I, when we went on Zoom and we talked, I felt like after I got off that call, like my whole body was like glittery and it felt like I, someone had like 
put a syringe of caffeine into my body. Like I was hyped up, like in a good way, you know, I mean, that sounds bad, (laughs) but like, it was like very, I would, I felt very like lit up, you know, that's the only way. And I hadn't had that physical reaction to something since meeting my husband. That was a long stretch of time of like having that kind of reaction. And I just now set that standard. Like that's my standard now when I'm going to partner with someone, I want to walk away feeling that sort of like, like, I don't know, there's just like energy in my blood, like in my veins. And that's how I felt when I met him. I just like was so, it's like I got this burst of light in my body. Um, And I felt that with this publisher. And that's how I knew because that's how I knew I was like, this is, this is it. This is something, this is something important. And it didn't look the way that I thought it was going to look. It wasn't one of the big five, huge publishers that I, well, now they're big four. They've monopolized the, one of the big four publishers. It was like, you know, they're still a global publisher, but not one of those big brand names. And I was like, I don't even care because of the way that this feels, I know. And that's how I felt with Hosem too. I mean, I don't know why. And we had to go through so much. I mean, we had to do immigration and all the things. I mean, it took years for us to get together actually, and be able to just be in our life. So yeah, I mean, there are certain things that there's a physical reaction. And I think I turned that off for a long time, which is why I hadn't felt it in so long. I wasn't really, I was more cerebral. I was in the mind thinking things through more, making my plans, trying to control things versus just sort of surrendering and being like, I don't have to know. I don't have to know. I can just take things as they come. Like an opportunity presents itself. I have a way. My body will tell me whether this is what I need to pursue or not. And it's that same feeling of like, I feel kind of like revved up. Like everything, everything feels more vibrant. Like the colors are more colorful. And I have this like energy coursing through me and I'm hot. Like I was, I was just watching life after death with Tyler Henry on Netflix and he, he's a medium and he gets like sweating hot. And I was like, Whoa, that's what I get. I mean, I don't sweat like he does because, but I get really hot. Like right now this dress is like really hot. Cause we've been doing some like channeling. There's been a soul connection. Um, and I do have these physical reactions that I didn't always notice. So maybe I had had those, but I hadn't paid attention enough. And now it's like the first thing I look for. I'm like, how did I feel when I did that? How did this conversation feel? This and this. Cheers to coming back to the body. I feel that way after every podcast interview. I typically get like hot and sweaty and like I get up and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Calm it down. Bring it back to the earth. You know, like live in a, in a forest. So I come out typically and just like get some air, hug a tree, touch the earth coming back, you know, cause it, it gets so exciting and I'm just so grateful that this is what I get to do for work. And I'm so grateful for this incredibly nourishing, beautiful conversation. And before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? I don't think so. I've done a lot of podcast interviews and this has taken some beautiful, beautiful, nourishing like little twists and turns, not twists and turns, but I just love your questions. This has been 
so, so wonderful. Like so different. I, I enjoy all the interviews that I do, but so different than what I've been typically doing. And I just love that we went to all the spiritual places and the divine interventions. This really like made my soul happy. Mm, thank you. It's my joy. And for anyone who is interested to check out your book and your social media and your site, what are the places to go to? Everything is at jamievarin.com. Um, my book is at radicallycontent.com. That's going to give you all the links to uh, purchase it. And I'm active on social media with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I'm just at Jamie Varin there. So you can find me. Yeah, I actually tweeted you today saying, sharing a quote from your book that said, on the cusp of every big transformation, there's a turning point. And that's where we're going to close off the podcast with. Jamie, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much. And uh, I have a feeling there might be part two where we talk about past lives. Who knows? Let's plant the seeds. And if you're listening to this and you're like, give us this, tweet us. Yes, please. Because I would love that. Thank you so much. Whoa, what a conversation. The themes that Jamie and I explored are very much an extension of so many things that have been coming up in conversations on this podcast and in my life as well. If you enjoyed this, you will love episode 196 with Jenny Blake, who introduced me to Jamie, as well as episode 198 with Do Paro, where we dive deep into all things abundance, trusting the universe, trusting your unconventional path, and translating that trust and your creativity onto social media. In Do's example, it is TikTok. Thank you for sharing this sacred space with me. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you. <laughs>